episode of the Pro Football Doc Podcast. Got a special guest on with me today, and let's go over the format uh, a little bit. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit different um, and strikes close to my heart as well as our special guest's heart. And we're going to talk really in two segments. Part one, I think we're going to be a little bit serious and get deep. Uh, and then we'll take a quick break. In part two, we can do our usual, have a little fun, uh, exchange some stories, go over some of the current news related to Pro Football Doc and what we're doing and, and the current news. But uh, first of all, I would love, and then uh, we got a new feature that I think people don't want to miss. Beast of the Week has been a favorite feature, but since there's no football right now, we're going to do uh, what happened here video analysis of videos that people uh, send in, whether it's Bill's Mafia or other crazy things people do. Um, but for the serious segment first, let me introduce my special guest and friend, uh, Greg Camarillo, longtime NFL uh, wide receiver. Can I see all the helmets in the background there? Obviously, I know Chargers, Dolphins, Vikings, Saints. Am I missing anybody? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> There's a Stanford one back there in the corner too, but you got all the pro ones. Yeah. But you but you dissed my alma mater. We'll get to that later. <laughs> um so just as a tone setter before we get to be a little bit serious. I mean, Greg, I mean, one of the things that I found uh, super interesting always about you is how many people do you think really have more NFL success than college success. I mean, that's you. I, yeah. I mean that in the kindest of ways. No, 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 no offense taken. It's it's a it's an interesting part of my career, uh, and it really didn't come to light until I scored my first NFL touchdown, and a reporter discovered that I that was my first time in the end zone since high school. They're like, Greg, did you really not score any touchdowns in college? Uh, you know, I was a you know uh, uh, I started one game for one minute just because a guy got in trouble and so they had to start me but um no I was not a great college receiver and then it, I got a chance to develop in the NFL and got more opportunities there yeah well I mean so you remind me of another friend of of ours in a much different way though I mean obviously your NFL career I mean you didn't have a bad college career but like you said you didn't really start that reminds me actually of a, a friend of ours Junior Seau technically he never really started I mean, he was cup of coffee and gone. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he was played a lot of downs and was player of the year. But technically, he always told me he was never officially named uh, the starter and obviously went on to a, after USC to a great, great NFL career. So there's a distinction for you. And you've been around a lot and, and what have you. And I know you have a great media career here in San Diego and, and different things, but it's kind of weird. I mean, it's COVID times, right? You're in San Diego, but we're not in person. Uh, but uh, I wanted to bring you on, and this is the serious part of the Pro Football Doc podcast, something that unfortunately strikes too close to home to you and to me. And I wanted to bring out a little bit of a screen share here where... Uh, uh, so this is your Twitter handle and uh, you started trending virally this week for 
a series of tweets. And uh, I wanted to go over that a little bit with you as the serious part of our conversation. Uh, obviously, um, it was a difficult, uh, interesting week. Uh, a mutual friend of ours passed, uh, Vincent Jackson. Unfortunately, it wasn't the first time. Um, and uh, I don't know if you want to read over your tweets or, or go over your thoughts, but I thought what you said was really very, very interesting. And I really wanted to launch into uh, some discussion with you. And this is, like I said, the serious portion of, of the podcast. We normally aren't this serious. Um, yeah, I mean, we can, uh, I can just, I won't read them, but I can, I can give you the general idea of each one and that can be, that can be the basis for our discussion. So, uh, you know, the news of Vincent Jackson passing, um, hit me probably more than, than when you hear about other football players and their struggles. One, because we were teammates, you know, we came into the chargers together in 2005, both rookies, uh, were camp roommates together, spent a lot of time together, partied together, hung out together. Uh, had separated ways. I hadn't talked to him in a while. So I, you know, I wasn't up to date on what was going on in his life or any struggles that he was going through. But, uh, you know, to know that someone that he was 38, I'm 38, wife, kids, our lives on paper were very similar. And to then find out that, you know, he passed because of, uh, I mean, we don't know the exact cause, but there's, you know, the, the report is alcoholism. Um, clearly there had to be something wrong at home. And that was difficult for me to take. And so I wanted to just kind of put my feelings out there. You know, this is, this is what I'm reflecting on. These are thoughts that I've had since, since retirement. Um, and I honestly, I didn't think I was sharing anything that was, that was a secret. But what I've learned from the reaction is that people are thanking me, Greg, I'm glad you're speaking up on this. this is exactly how I felt, felt former teammates saying, man, I went through the same thing. Other sports, um, other countries, People just reaching out saying, I went through and experienced the same exact thing. And, uh, you know, the more we can shed light on struggles, the more that we can talk about the struggles, uh, the more I think people are willing to accept help for them. Um, and in football, you know, it's a it's a gladiator sport. You got to be a tough guy. You got to lift weights. You got to grunt or do all these manly things. But when football is over, a lot of us struggle. Um and so the tweets were just a series of the different reflections I had on, on my retirement. Yeah. And I, and I think the one central theme that you hit on that I strongly have been saying for a while and believe, and look, I didn't play, I don't have the same things, but I've seen enough people and friends and, and I've been very reflective about it because, you know, unfortunately this wasn't the first time something has happened. It's happened way too many times. And, uh, you know, yeah, there's always CTE, but I think that's too easy. I think, uh, I think, you know, I'm not saying it's not part of the equation, but I think what you hit on is very important, loss of identity. And to me, um, if you identify yourself as a football player, which most of you guys do, or professional athlete of another kind, because it's not isolated to football, that part of you dies and ends at a very young age. And you know, and you guys, I say you guys because I'm not a professional athlete, were defined as spectacular in junior high, high school, college, uh, uh, and then in the NFL. And look, uh, 
even in your former NFL life, I guarantee you every one of your kids, friends, parents know what you did. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just part of it. It's part of your life. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that part moves on. And, and I think that can be a difficult struggle for anyone who, let's say, is in the military and it's just part of their life, or a police officer, where everyone knows that you're a police officer in that part of your life. Most people yeah. don't know if you're a mortgage broker or you a manager at a plant. I mean, it's just not who you are. And for sports and football, I think loss of identity is a big part of that and a huge part of it. And I think that's part of this whole difficulty and one one of of a lot of things and that's one of them yeah so um, you know a football player often starts playing football at a young age I played one year at Pop Warner and I played high and then high school which is less most people start at five six seven eight and then don't stop uh, until they retire from the sport so our whole lives we've been a football player we've been going to football practice we've been training for football uh, you know, in high school, it becomes a bigger part of your life. In college, it becomes pretty much everything you do. Not everything, sorry. You go to class. Most people go to class. But it is your entire life revolves around being a football player. And when you get to the NFL, literally everything you do is about being a football player. Uh, all the conversations you have are about football. Everyone wants to talk to you about football. Everyone thinks it's cool that you're playing football. You're put on this pedestal. The NFL is the most watched sporting game. Uh, it definitely in America, it probably soccer might be above it in the world, but definitely in America. So we're at this pinnacle of admiration. We're at this pinnacle of our career. Uh, you know, you have a daily self-esteem booster, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing you are, you know, in the eyes of other people, you are in this, you're you're admired and it feels good. And then also putting the effort into being a football player. Uh, You know, I was never like a weight room guy. You could tell from my physique. I didn't, I wasn't like, yeah, let's hit the weights. But, you know, I loved putting all my energy into working hard to get better at football, working hard to achieve a goal. I knew exactly when I woke up in the morning, this is my goal. This is what I'm going to go work hard at to be part of this team, to try to make the playoffs, to try to make a roster, to try to win a Super Bowl. And then suddenly that's over and over quickly. It's not as though it is like, oh, and you know, five years from now, I can predict that I will no longer be a football player. And it's a slow, gradual uh, waning of, of this identity. It goes from peak to bottom. And that is tough to cope with. So, you know, you lose that, that, that goal. You lose that regimen of waking up every day to go be the best football player you can be. Uh, you know, you lose the camaraderie of being in and around a locker room of guys that are identifying the same way. These are football players. I'm in and around them. Uh, you know, you, you lose that sensation of being in a football stadium full of 80,000 people cheering for you. And then suddenly all of that's gone. And I, you know, one of my tweets was, I, you know, I reached the pinnacle at a young age. Will I ever feel that excitement again? It's tough at 30 years old to think, and that's when I retired. It's tough at that age to think my best days might be behind me. That's, that's a tough, that's a diff, that's what would keep me up at night. How am I going to find a passion in my life 
I'm no longer a football player. I've achieved these highs, you know, who am I and what will I do again to feel this way? And that, that's a tough thing to cope with. No, no question. No question. And, and look, uh, I, I, you guys are my friends and I think I identify, but I didn't play football when I stopped with the, uh, being, you know, a lot of people knew me as the chargers team doctor around town here. And when I stopped with that, I, I honestly saw, I was appreciative of people who were worried about me. Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm like, but I didn't ever define myself as the Chargers team position. I, if anything, I probably defined myself as an orthopedic surgeon and a physician who happened to take care of the Chargers. Now, if I would have all of a sudden lost the ability to be a physician or a surgeon, I think my identity crisis might have been huge or huger yeah. than any of yours. But since I didn't define it that way, I didn't see it. And so I think some people that are non-athletes and look at this and they almost think this is a first world problem, right? I mean, look, you oh, had this yeah. success well, and is. whatever, but, but, but it's a real, real problem. And, and, and let me run some of my thoughts by you, how you get in this bad, bad funk. Besides everything that you said and identity and whatever, and this is just observation and talking to friends. You all also, stereotyping, you all, you all are successful because, and, and whether you're an X game athlete or professional volleyball player or a wide receiver or a linebacker, you're all in type of guys. You get there because you're all in mentally and with your training. Like, uh, uh, I've had, I mean, I take care of the X games. I've been on top of those ramps. I can't even look, look over the ramp. On, on the regular vert ramp, I don't think I can get on my butt and slide in. These guys just go right in. You go right over the middle. Vincent Jackson, Junior Sam Bliss. I mean, you, you do things that other people don't do because you're all in committed. And then not only that part goes away because of identity, but your personalities are such that you're all in in terms of what it is. And then, you know, with the loss of identity and perhaps a bump in the road, um, all you've met, look at you, you graduated from Stanford, you have a beautiful wife and kids, and success, 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 and you know, you hit a bump in the road like everyone does, and then how you're probably not equipped so forth sometimes, and then what do you do? And here's the one thing that I've said to a lot of people since this last week, since Monday, I was actually sitting at lunch with my wife when I got the text. Um, here's what I reached out and told people to make them understand. Friends of ours, and I'm not going to say any names because it's just not fair to do so. Um, I said to them, guys, you know, number one, you guys are all the same. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I mean, I connected. I've kept a little bit of touch with Vincent. We talked about if I was going to Tampa, maybe bring the kids for the Super Bowl and going to Orlando for Disney World. And uh, obviously it didn't work out, but I communicated him with him a couple times recently and saw nothing. And so uh, it, it, you know, it, I, I don't know what really happened, and I'm not trying to judge. Uh, I, you know, I, I think it's wrong for a sheriff to make a diagnosis of alcoholism, we'll wait for the coroner to figure it out. And, and I don't want to go there and, you know, uh, all love to Lindsay and the family and everything. I'm not, it's not the point. My point is when you hit, 
you know, a bad stretch, and we all do. Medically, and this is what I've tried to add to our mutual friends, 90% of the world has considered suicide. Not saying, you know, uh, you know, was depressed for three months and almost, I'm saying 90% of the world, studies will tell you, have had at least a transient thought of suicide. Transient. And, and I'm not saying that any of the, there was suicide in any of this. I'm just giving perspective about loss of identity, uh, yeah. generically. 90% of us. So look around the room, and the next 10 people you see, nine of them, and, you know, have hit a doldrums where even if it was 10 seconds or 30 seconds, what am I doing here on this earth kind yeah. of stuff. 50% of us, all of us, have actually had a plan, whether it's a gun, whether it's pills, whether it's a rope, whether it's a knife, whether it's a body of water, whether it's whatever it is, a plan. And the key is to not execute on the plan. And, and what medically happens is you go through three minutes of hell and you gotta get out the other side, you know? And do you make it out the other side? And I think most people make it out the other side 37 times, but maybe the 38th or who knows. And I think given the all-in personalities of athletes and perhaps CTE taking away impulse control, that you just don't get through it. And this is what I mean generically. And the one thing that I'm hopeful that we could do something about is, believe it or not, Greg, uh, a close friend of mine, after I told him that, actually admitted to me that he had pills at one point. This was a couple years ago. And uh, three other people that I've talked to um, admitted that, and these are guys that you would know, you pr yeah. friends with, or are on national TV or doing you know prominent things like yourself, yeah. who who after I kind of threw that out there, said, yeah, I agree, and that they've been in some sort of therapy and getting some help. And to me, that was huge to just... So I, I think that just you mentioning that, just you talking about that it's common, that other people feel that way, can help reduce that barrier. You know, it's not just something I'm struggling with, but this is really common. More people go through this and there are ways to get help. And I want to go back to what you mentioned about uh, football players and guys you've spoken to who say, no matter what's going on in their life, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And to me, that's something that comes directly from football as a team sport. And, and it's actually allowed us to be successful in a team sport. So in football, no matter what's going on with you, you suck it up and deal with it for the benefit of the team, which in football is, is great. You got, you see a guy with a, you know, a, a, a small injury, a contusion that, you know, Joe Schmo might be sitting on his couch, you know, saying his back hurts where we either power through it, take a pain pill and power through it. But you, if someone asks, no, I'm good, doc, I'm going back in the game. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and that it works fine for football. I'm cool with that for football. And then also in the NFL level, and he probably in college as well, you hide what you, what's wrong with you. So you don't get cut. So you don't lose your starting spot. So you can get out there and practice. So somebody else doesn't take your spot. Doc, you know, you could tell, you know, my ribs hurt or my shoulders hurt. No doc. I'm good. I don't need anything. I need to get back out there. 
And, and that allows us to be successful at football. It allows us, our teams to do well. But when it comes to post-football or when it comes to things like depression or substance abuse, substance abuse, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. That, that just doesn't cut it. Yeah, and, and look, to be fair, I've heard criticism of the NFL. They need to do more for former players. But here's the thing. I, you've seen them. I've seen them. The posters in locker rooms, in the mailings, in the alumni things. Call this number, get help, this, that, the other. The problem is making the call. I mean, it isn't always the access to it. And so my big personal revelation this week is I've talked to a bunch of people and see if you agree with me. I haven't run this by you yet. Is that think of what's happening now with this identity crisis and people struggling after the game. Almost compare it to concussions a decade or two decades ago. Two decades ago, if you got your bell rung, you weren't supposed to tell anybody. I mean, even... We laughed at you. If we, if we saw you knocked out on the floor two decades ago, <laughs> you got knocked out, get up, go. Get up, let's go. And, yeah. and, and, and let me tell you, I mean, I was the orthopedist, but obviously I dealt with some concussions. Uh, and guys would be like, no, no, you're concussed. You got, no, no, I'm fine. I wasn't. There'd be complete denial of it. And uh, it wasn't cool to say, look, uh, I think I got concussed. Like, you just didn't do that. And for me, in the concussion world, until players and coaches and fans and medical personnel realized that this is a problem, concussions, and it's not the right thing or macho thing to just say, I'm good. You've got to self-report symptoms. There's no shame in it. And it's better for you to do so. I would argue those same principles now for this loss of identity issue that you've identified. That until somebody, anybody, a, a police officer, a military guy, a, a former athlete can admit that there's something there and that it's okay to reach out for help to say look I think I got concussed or I think I've got some issues to work through I don't think this problem is going to change and I didn't think the concussion problem would change until the culture changed and I don't think this not again problem will change until the culture changes where it's okay to say that and uh you know, one of the things that I'll continue to do as I talk to friends is continue with that 90% stat and 50% stat. It seems to be effective in getting people to open up that it's okay that everyone goes through it or a lot of people go through it. And I think most people are surprised by those stats. And so that's my, you know, two cents of trying to make heads or tails of this and to, to try and get to a spot where we don't have that again. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with the vast majority of everything you said. Uh, the difference in the change in concussions from 20 years ago to now, uh, or even just during my even career. 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah, even just during my career, 2005 to 2012 was drastically different. Uh, and, and I love the fact, I love the direction they're heading with that. The harder part with the identity part is there's no uh, neutral doctor that can see that you're having an identity crisis. And it might not hit until you're done with football. Uh, and I also, what 
it probably won't hit until you're done with football. I also agree um, with your fact that all the resources are there. The NFLPA does it, an amazing job of fighting for us to get money and resources for preventing crises after your career. Uh, they paid for me to go back to college. I have seen mental health counselors. I've seen physical, you know, the orthopedists. I've seen the doctors that look at my brain. I get all, I get every, I have access to every sort of healthcare and mental health counselor possible. But like you nailed it, it is getting guys to use it, getting guys to engage. And I think just having that discussion, you mentioning those stats, every time we can bring this up in and around athletes, it knocks a little bit off of that stigma that you're a big, you're a big, strong guy. You don't need counseling. You don't need a therapist. You don't need any help. Uh, the more we talk about it, the more awareness would be the change is going to be slow. Um, but the key is to find ways for guys to engage with those resources because the resources are there. Well, you know, as we wrap up this serious segment here, my message is, you know, if any guys are listening or, or non-athletes, I mean, reach out to a friend. And I think what I found the most effective way is if you just ask how you doing, you're going to get the standard. If you're real, I think your friend will be real back to you. If you're real and say, these are my struggles, I think you'll be surprised if for people to say, yeah, I've had that too, or you know, who knows, my wife drives me crazy or my kids drive me crazy or my in-laws drive me crazy or work drives me crazy or whatever it, it is. I think you'll, you'll, you'll get a lot further and uh, hopefully uh, um, we can not have this uh, crazy stuff happen again. Uh, thank you for the serious segment. Let's, let's take a quick break, grab a glass of water, and then we can come back and lighten the mood and, uh, and have a little bit of fun. So now it's time we got to change the mood here a little bit. So, uh, so it's, uh, you know, Greg with your Stanford career helmet, like, why, why'd you, why'd you turn down my alma mater? The, the crimson wasn't good enough for you? I've, uh, no, not as a Californian. And I'll explain. So I went on, I, w I went on college, college visits, uh, of my, it was spring break of must've been my senior year. And so I'm from Northern California where it, it's cold, but not really cold, you know, a little bit of rain. I was going from, to visit Harvard, uh, in Boston to visit University of Pennsylvania, where my brother was in Philadelphia. And then I was meeting some friends in Miami for spring break. So as a, as an 18 year old, I was clearly thinking about Miami way more than I was thinking about everything else. I just packed a hoodie, a regular old hoodie. I get to Boston, football practices at six in the morning outside in April, and it is cold. The ground is literally frozen. And I'm standing there watching football and the whole time I'm thinking, I cannot do this. I will not survive out here in the cold. And so that moment made my decision for me. And then I got a chance to walk on at Stanford. So I got a chance to play, uh, you know, power five football and the cold weather scared me away from Boston. Well, so, so you ended up at that, uh, and I say this jokingly because my brother went to Stanford. So you ended up at that junior university. Leland Stanford Junior University. No. I, knew I, I knew I liked your brother better than you for some reason. It's a junior university. Can you go to a real school? No, just kidding, obviously. Obviously, your dad teaches there and the whole deal. But yeah, and, and the, the cold is real. I mean, uh, you know, I, I mean, I played water polo at Harvard. I mean, not exactly football. But let me tell you, for the morning workouts, it was, I never in my swim, water polo, sporting career, you know, you took a shower or whatever, I never dried my hair. You have to dry your hair. 
Because if you don't and you go outside, it freezes and it and it will break. Oh my goodness. So, yes, you're right about the cold. Yeah, so it's a good decision. It's a good decision there. So so with that entree, since you you dissed my alma mater, I have to go to you know where I'm going next, Greg. All right. You know where I'm going. Yeah. You know where I'm going. You'll never let me live it down. Well, do you want to tell the story from your perspective, or should I tell the story? Oh, it's a... Uh, or let me tell the story, then you, you, you tell, tell me. I'll okay. myself. Okay. So, no idea who you were. Fair. We, we do free agent... Oh, sorry, uh, physicals for the entry, entry physicals. And so we're looking at 90 guys, and, you know, it gets a little repetitive. So... I try and lighten the day a little bit, and I'm looking and looking at you, and your medical stuff was fine. And, and I was like, oh, Stanford. We don't get a lot of Stanford guys, and you're a wide receiver. Interesting. So I just asked you a very simple question. Who's the best player at your position to come out of your school ever? Yep. Yep. And you paused. Was thinking, thinking hard, nervous and said, as all hell. I'm and you said, by the team doctor. And so I'm thinking of all the people I've seen play. And I go to Ed McCaffrey because I've seen him play, and the man was good at football. And so you said Ed McCaffrey, excellent player. But I'm like, wait a minute here. First of all, and, and I wasn't quizzing you. I was just making idle conversation, okay? I mean, and admittedly, you were probably more nervous than you should be thinking – I was a spy or something, which I wasn't for anyone else. And I was like, I remember saying to you, Ed McCaffrey, first of all, you're in a Chargers building and you mentioned a Bronco. And I said, and the other biggest strike is, tell the audience, who was your position coach that brought you? The only reason I was at a tryout with the Chargers was because James Lofton, the Hall of Fame NFL wide receiver, who was also a Stanford alum, Brought me in. Yeah. And you didn't say his name. I mean, I, I gave you fullback belly on the one. I mean, it was, you know, you were, you were that, that offensive lineman that, that was eligible and wide open. All you had to do was catch the open pass. I mean. Mask and drop to the ground. <laughs> and so, yeah. So obviously gave you a little bit of grief about that. And that was all good fun, right? As a guy that was there for a tryout, I asked you to swear secrecy, and what was the deal that we struck? Oh, here's so. Oh, here's so. You so you left the room all flustered, and you circled back. I don't know if it was twenty minutes, half hour, an hour later, and you got me. And he said, "Look, you cannot pass that story up. You cannot tell James Lofton that story." You cannot tell him. He's the man who brought me in. I'm going to look ridiculous. I'll never make this team. You cannot do this. And the deal I struck with you is, okay, I won't tell him. But on the day that you suit up for us, on the 46th, when you're on the field in uniform, not practice squad, not, you know, inactive. When you're active for us, I get to tell him the story. And you said, deal. And I'm glad we made it to the point where you got to tell him the story. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and uh and uh of course lofton uh loved the story <laughs> and 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 i i think i have to confess this since we're it's all honesty here 
Coach Lofton has been on this podcast. He's a friend, obviously, Beverly. I mean, he's like super close to everybody. He's a friend of mine. Uh, as you could imagine, I might have whispered the story to him, but told him not to say not that he sure. knew until you asked. I mean, come on. Anything different? I mean, come on. No, that, I'm just, I'm just glad he didn't share. I was nervous enough as, as an undrafted guy <laughs> trying to make my way. So I'm glad, I'm glad the secret was kept. <laughs> no, it was, it was good. It was, uh, it was uh, all, all, all good. So um, let's move on to a couple other fun topics uh, here. Um, first of all, uh, you watch a lot of uh, the Kardashians. I saw your tweet. I, I, the latest one I watched Kim Kardashian being on a Dave Letterman show on Netflix, which was fascinating. <laughs> so I, I see your next to all your serious tweets that we talked about. I see Kim Kardashian, average marriage three point three years, NFL career three point three years. Let's hope she's not trying to catch Tom in the ring count. I, I mean, I might have to have a poll here. I don't think anyone believes that you don't watch the Kardashians if you're tweeting that. Uh, you're going to blame it on the wife. No, no, you can't blame it on Sharon because Sharon won't take that from you. She's not watching the Kardashians. I mean, who doesn't know about what's going on in the Kardashians' life? I have not watched more than probably 30 minutes of their specific show. But, I mean, I'm on Twitter. I know <laughs> plenty about their life. Uh, and, and I follow Kanye's journey through life. And so, you know, I know, I do know that Kim's first marriage was what, like 30 days, less than a month, something like that. And so this last one, I asked my wife, how long is it? She said, I think six or seven years. So divided by two, boom, same length as an NFL career, standard NFL career. She's got two rings. Our Tommy boy has seven. She's on her way. Wait, 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 Greg. Wait, 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 Greg. I'm calling you out right here. And if we got to get Sharon on the phone right now, I will do so. Okay. First of all, okay. You all saw last week, Tom had a little fun on that parade. That's the best. Which is the best. The and best. the fact that he then tweeted about his coming off there and saying, nothing to see here, just a little avocado tequila, <laughs> right? Yep. With with some misspelling or things to make it authentic. I think you just covered for yourself there, and I'm not buying it. Okay? <laughs> First of all, your tell was you threw Sharon under the bus, and I know Sharon doesn't watch the Kardashians. There's no way she does. More than I do. Okay. And look, if you follow social media, you know very well this is her third marriage, not her second. Oh, so, what did I miss? So don't i mean look i can't tell you all the people that she's been married to but i'm just saying i think you're like doing a tom brady there oh like, my goodness i, I think uh, you're doing a tom brady. Doing as we speak <laughs> I, I didn't i, I uh, oh wow christian's dropping some knowledge there was one previous one 2000 to 2003 so her average is now slightly less than an nfl career <laughs> she's got three rings and, and she's closer to tom brady she just passed eli manning well so you're sticking to your story you well so you're sticking to your story you didn't know yeah that's uh okay. i feel good i feel good in that place <laughs> um 
All right, Let, let's talk a little bit of uh, football here. Um, uh, do you think Bruce Arians is right that vets like that there won't be OTAs so that the young guys can't develop? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%, 100% absolutely because I was a young guy that developed through OTAs. Without OTAs, with fewer OTAs or fewer camps, I would absolutely not have made an NFL roster. No question in my mind. So that those OTAs not only give young drafted guys a chance to develop, but they give guys that are total afterthoughts, uh, free agents, tryout guys, a chance to develop. And um, yeah, if without those, uh, you feel more secure as a veteran, at least from my perspective, because the fewer the reps available, the more time they need to spend on the veterans in less time that you just throw a young guy out. Hmm. Interesting. So you think that's a bigger motivation for vets as opposed to, I just don't need the work or I want to be lazy. The, the blocking, I want to be lazy. The, the blocking the young oh. guy is, is the bigger factor. Oh, that's a great question. You know, to be honest with you, in as a veteran, from my perspective as a football player, I would much rather see training camp done away with and just spread it out throughout the year. I don't need to destroy myself for a month before the season with extra hard work and 12-hour days just because that's what we've the football world has done in the past. I would much rather add practices in July, add practices in May, and just spread it out learn the same amount of plays, get the same amount of reps, not spend 12 hours a day during training camp and just coast our way into the season. I like that format, but I, they've always had training camp. It's a mental approach, so that's not going to change. <laughs> yeah, okay, interesting there. Um, we've talked before on this, I mean, uh, in terms of uh, COVID and nervousness and, you know, your wife's a teacher and, whatever um whatever um what do you think about the nfl in in their season what would you what thought, you it was, thought it was amazing and now spending a couple sundays without nfl football where i'm just sitting around bored as hell uh i i was a total doubter total doubter that they would be able to pull off the season i remember listening to you and you were saying some more positive things and i was like man Stick to orthopedics, Doc. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but you were spot on. I was totally off. Um, it proved that if people are dedicated, if people listen to the experts, if they wear masks, if they socially distance, you can control it. You can survive. And uh, I also didn't think that NFL players would be dedicated enough. I mean, when I played, dudes were in a bar every night. I imagine they would be back in the bar every night. So for the, for the fact that NFL players were willing to, uh, you know, dedicate their lives to playing football for six months, as opposed to having a social life on the side, that was impressive. The technology they put in there with those little Apple watch looking things that measure their distance. That was impressive. Uh, the way teams adapted, putting meeting rooms outside, weight rooms outside. I was thoroughly impressed and I am so thankful because that gave us something It gave us an escape on Sundays. We just got to sit down and watch football and not worry about everything else that was going on. Uh, I loved it. I'm super happy they did it. Yeah. Well, my only modification to what you just said there is I don't think with all the protections in the world, 
there's any way to beat coronavirus or COVID, but it can be managed. And what I would say is, look, if you don't want to get into a car accident, never get into a car, period, end of discussion. But if you're going to get into a car, do it in the daytime, go the speed limit, put your seatbelt on, make sure your tires are good. Don't drive at 2 a.m. Uh, on dark roads or 2 a.m. drunk driving, you know, kind of stuff. Yeah. Then you lessen your risk. And I think that's what masks and social distancing, there's no way to be completely protective. Yeah. But it lessens your load and risk in terms of what's going on. And I do think that early on, my doubts were that the players and teams wouldn't get it. And I, I think the biggest thing they did to make it through the season is um, they instituted, like when they started the season, there weren't masks on the sidelines. There weren't whatever. So they changed. Yeah. Yeah. And about the middle of the season when it started to get really hairy, right? Mm -hmm. There was a big change. And I'm going to write on this as this little preview. When they declared that if you, when they started getting uh, uh, proactive, instead of just you're positive, you're positive in your poll, when they started to get proactive, that's when it changed. And proactive meaning if you were near someone, within six feet for 15 minutes in a meeting or not following rules, even without your testing positive, you were out five days because yeah. you could turn positive. So the mandatory sit, if you didn't follow the rules, became very risky because, yeah. you know, if something happened on Wednesday, you missed the game yeah. and doesn't matter. You missed the game. And so I think that five day mandatory sit out changed things. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't want to run out of time here, but I'm going to write an article saying, and I'll, here's the teaser, um, some of the things we learned from COVID. Look, the NFL was a great experiment, daily testing, this, that, the other. Look, we do not need to, look, we need to social distance. We need to be careful. Look, we're doing Zoom. And if you were here in this room, we'd be in a big conference room, you know, 12 feet apart, widescreen kind of thing. You need to be smart about it. But there is no need for us to be dodging each other down the grocery store aisles or sidewalks. That is not how COVID is transmitted. We play tackle football, sweating, grabbing, laying on each other, heavy breathing. But because that contact was intermittent, there was not a single case of across the, sideline, across the line of scrimmage transmission in the NFL. Yeah. It happened on the sidelines, your own sidelines in, in the locker room but it didn't happen on the field in more space and whatever. So I'm not saying to me, if you want to stand six feet apart in the grocery store, that makes sense, but you don't have to jump in fear. If someone comes around the corner, isn't within six feet of you. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just not, I'm not a coronavirus and COVID is real. As you know, my wife works, you know, at the hospital, blah, blah, blah. But I think that's one of the biggest lessons that the NFL can, uh, can give to us. All right, so I don't want to go over time here. So uh, let's move on to uh, maybe the final segment. And so, so to explain to you, Greg, during the season, he used to have something called Beast of the Week, a All guy right. that would you know dislocate his shoulder and keep playing, or a guy who did X, Y, and Z and kept playing, or took this hit. Like to not 
you got Jack, but like guys that just played through the toughest injury of the, of the week. And uh, now in the off season, we don't have those videos unless I'm going back in time. So I'm going to go change beast of the week to what happened here. You know, there's always good Twitter video out there. So I'm going to go, go with a doozy for the first one here. And I think you can see it too. Here is, so check. Oh my out. goodness gracious. <laughs> oh shit. So just so you know, uh, no signs of impairment and oh. the driver's actually okay. So I'll expand this. Oh so, my, where is that? This is in Wisconsin. Oh my check that God. Out. Boom. Oh, drivers, the driver's okay? The driver's actually okay. Like 50 feet in the air. Yeah. So, oh my so, goodness. So let me tell you, there's let's there there is something in medicine called a LD fifty, uh-huh. lethal dose fifty. And what is that? The lethal dose fifty is if you take this much of this medication, fifty percent of people will die. Lethal yeah. dose fifty, LD fifty. The LD fifty uh, on falls from a height is five stories. So this was actually a little bit longer, a little bit higher. So if oh you go through goodness. here, this is I mean, one I, part, gonna, one story, this two has stories, to, three, four, five, six stories. This has to be like an LD90 for, for this situation right here. <laughs> Driving in a car on a, I mean, and then he could have landed on, he or she could have landed on someone. Oh my God. Yes, but, but the whole key here, using my pro football doc analysis, uh-huh. look at how the car lands. On its wheels. No, watch. Where does it land? It lands on the, and it and the way it rolls, it dampens the force. Uh. As opposed to, you know, it's, it's sort of like the guy who gets a blind side block and jacked and he, he looks a hot mess and he, you know, like a yard sale, but his whole body went with it as opposed to a guy who and took it on and took the energy. And that's the reason why this guy walks away. So uh, he survived the LD50, the way the car landed, he walked here. And I figured this will spur people to send me videos like Rex Chapman gets in <laughs> videos. Get great videos. I'm yeah. gonna get some videos of buddies like, hey, what happened to my buddy here? And uh, he's skateboarding in the park and uh, whatever <laughs> things. And, and uh, we're, we're not trying to do stuff where someone got really seriously hurt. We're just yeah. trying to have a little fun with that's, what's going on. But that's our new feature. What happened That's a here? good start to the offseason right there. Pro football, Doc. I like that one. <laughs> Pro traffic, Doc. Uh, all right. Well, Greg, thanks a lot. I know you got to pick up the kids and what have you. Thank you for sharing the seriousness in part one and bringing that to everyone's attention. And thank you for allowing me to have a little fun in part two and sharing the story that you know you hate, but you know, <laughs> but it's a good story. You have to tell it. Good story. Because it worked out. Could have been bad. Oh, yeah. If it wouldn't have worked out, it'd be no fun to uh, to tell the story. It's only fun because it worked out. Anyways, uh, anything you want to promote or your stuff? I know you've got some some stuff. Yeah, I got, uh, got a little podcast going on with another one of your friends, uh, Marcus McNeil, the left tackle from the Chargers who protected Phillip Rivers for a long time. Uh, we've teamed up him and a radio pro, Matt Scravey, to come up with two pros and a Joe. So wherever you get your podcast, look up. Two is the number two, pros and a Joe, and check us out.
All right. Well, Greg, thanks again. And uh, hopefully uh, everyone gets their vaccines and we can return to a little more uh, normalcy and next one we'll do in person or, uh, or what have you. Thanks a lot, Greg. Thanks for listening to the Pro Football Doc podcast. Uh, weekly feature, all the usual places and profootballdoc.com is still going. Although we are certainly doing some baseball, basketball, and